Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 51 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast. Brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you by Peghead Nation, with Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old-time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including beginning mandolin and intermediate bluegrass mandolin. And also she got a brand new um, bluegrass fingerboard uh, series uh, with Sharon Gilchrist. Bluegrass mandolin jam favorites and the advancing mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh. Monroe style mandolin with Mike Compton. Melodic mandolin tunes with John Reichman. Chord melody mandolin with Aaron Weinstein. Irish mandolin with Marla Feibish. And theory for mandolin and fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. Not sure if you heard that, but my new puppy, Reggie, just barked in the background there. He's adorable. Little golden retriever, six-week-old. Anyway, it's also brought to you by Northfield Mandolins. Um, Northfield, uh, the next episode, part two of this, Adam talks a little bit about Northfield. And um, I just, I love what Adrian and the folks at Northfield are doing. Um, and you should go to their website and check it out. It's beautiful. It talks about all the process, the story behind it. Uh, he also did an episode you should check out. Northfield Mandolins, thank you for sponsoring. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, once again, if you can, go to Mandolins and Beer on Facebook and Instagram and follow along. Be sure to hit subscribe, maybe leave a review here uh, at the iTunes store. Um, during the episode, Adam mentions that he's given lessons online. Uh, that's an incredible opportunity, and he doesn't have a website up at the moment, but you can go to mandolinsandbeer.com, and I'll have his email address there for you if you are interested in that. And who wouldn't be? Uh, the guy's a legend. I'm still, I still can't believe that um, we're going on a year here. This year's gone so fast and that I've been able to talk to so many of my heroes. And on top of that, the emails that I get from all you listeners out there really, really blow me away. This has been unbelievable. I can't believe it's been a year. I want to thank you all so much. And I got a great Patreon message, too, the other day. I'll read that next week from my Patreon page. So let's get into part one with Adam Steffi. And he um, just naturally, when editing this, I'm like, oh, my gosh, where do I, where do I make it, um, part one and part two? Uh, it, he produces the best segue for it. So uh, I can't wait for you all to hear part one. And I can't wait till next week when you get to hear part two wraps up a year of podcasting. Looking forward to year number two. Cheers, everybody. All right, now it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the Mandolins of Beer podcast, Adam Steffi. Adam, how are you? <laughs> Man, I am great. I am awesome, and I'm flattered that you've asked me to be a part of your uh, Part of your podcast, man. It's an honor, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. I look forward to, to the to the next little bit. Yeah, me too. Well, it is an honor to talk to you. Um, 
you are you are that rarefied air of people who who you can recognize by tone like uh, people uh, people will say you know there's like the oh, that's that grisman tone or bush tone or steffy tone and that's i mean that's that's an incredible no, thing to accomplish in 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 any instrument so congratulations well, well, you're putting me in, in very, very strong company, and I don't, I don't feel worthy of that, certainly. But I, I I'm flattered that that you or anybody would think that, and that that's that's the highest form of compliment that I could get as a player is that folks recognize something that I that I do. You know, they might recognize a tone or a lick or something like that because I could, I've told people this for years. I consider myself the ultimate ripoff artist. I've just, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like everybody is in a way, you know, it's sure. like you, you have your influences and you listen to people and you take little bits of what they've got and you add the way that you would approach a melody or a, or a, or a phrase and then you sort of piece it together over time. And over the years, you know, it just sort of comes out like you. And um, I've always thought about tone and, and I've, I think about how to make a phrase sound a certain way that I hear it. But that doesn't mean that's the only way, you know, it's, it's just I, I try to play it the way I hear it after I can work out something on things, you know. And but, uh, man, you're you're very kind to say so. And, and it's, it's always very, very humbling when people say Man, I heard that and I knew it was you on that or something. And then it's, 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 all the time happens. I'm like, that's got to be Steffi. I'll I'll take a picture of like on XM if it's somebody I'm not sure if or you know, and I'll be like, I gotta look this up as soon as I'm not driving and just verify <laughs> that that is that is who it is. Well, or if not, I'm gonna check out who it is because they did their homework on some great tone. <laughs> well, thank you very very much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, very kind you know it's cool to um to talk to you too because again like you said it's it's awesome to hear um even someone who's you know got their own tone it all came from doing that homework ahead of time like you said you know taking bits and pieces and and making it your own and now you are one of those bits and pieces that so many players out there um you know try to try to get a little bit of yeah, if if I can, you know, I, I've I've given lessons and 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 worked with different people in different capacities. You know, as far as a, a personal teacher, an online teacher, a, at, at at symposiums and 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 camps and things like that. And if I can get you know something to somebody and help them in some way, because I had a lot of people over the years, and that's a great thing about bluegrass music, especially is is because you can get around people and you can get up close to them. You know, it's not like you're going to a Justin Bieber concert, you know, or you're <laughs> right. going to, you're going to see, you know, uh, day or, or that's dating myself right there. Let's say <laughs> Beyonce. If I go to a Beyonce concert, I don't, I can't expect to get vocal or dance move lessons from her, you know, <laughs> absolutely. So, or, or just ask something, you know, like, Hey, what kind of pick are you using or, or something like that? You know? So this music allows you, allows you access, you know, in most instances to, to the performers. And so I was able to go up and, and try not to pester people, but, you know, go up and ask questions and look closely at their acts or, or, you know, maybe their picks or, you know, see how they were doing things. And, uh, and so, you know, anytime I've been able to, I always try to take, take time with folks you know and there are times that it's not possible because you're fixing to go on stage or you got to blast off and drive or whatever catch a flight but uh, I, i've had a lot of people over the years you know sam bush david grisman folks when i was just starting to play and they probably don't even remember me doing it you know because <laughs> they have so many people 
and uh, I'm probably that way too. I just hope that I've always tried to to help folks out, you know, and uh, and so to be able to have influenced anybody with something that I've done. But like I say, it's it's just I I don't consider myself a, a an innovator, you know, or there was no master plan. I just love jamming, you know, I just yeah. love picking and uh, never thought that it would turn into a career. And then I look back, you know, after I'd been doing it for 15 or, you know, 18 years. And I was like, wow, I guess this is kind of what I do. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I've done little things in between, you know, and, and had had other jobs, you know, but playing has always been there. And the yeah. mandolin's always going to be a part of my life. Certainly. That's great. It's funny because, you know, like, like you said, like, I don't know anybody who's played you know, say Clapton's, uh, you know, famous Black Strat before well, he still owned it. But right. I, I could probably tell you um, 50 people who've emailed me since I started this podcast saying they've, oh, Thiele let me strum his lore or John Reichman mm-hmm. let me. I mean, these are priceless right. instruments. And these guys are like, oh, it just it's even people yeah. on this podcast talk about, you know, meeting meeting guys backstage at a festival. Or it's just like, oh, here, just play this fern for uh for the afternoon mm-hmm. like what yeah <laughs> yeah i remember i think one of the first times i met david grisman he, he we were backstage at one of the early wilkesboroughs when they first started doing merle fest and uh grisman was playing there and I, I i think that was one of the first times i met him if not the first time and he handed me his axe he said man try this out i just got this and it was a lore you know and i, <laughs> I, I was like holy mackerel man i I just about vapor locked right there, but, uh, <laughs> but just so kind, you know, and this is a guy that, you know, I had idolized since I first started taking mandolin lessons and I didn't even know the guy that had no idea who he was. I just bought a record, the original Grisman quintet album. And, uh, when I put it on, it, it was just, it just the tone and the melodies and the chord progressions and things on there. And uh, just that ch- changed my thought of what a mandolin approach could be. three maybe four chords <laughs> you know but it, <laughs> yeah. it had that kind of effect and then here i am and he's in front of me first of all you know i felt like i was three years old seeing uh uh, uh you know just cookie monster or something the first time you just <laughs> right. kind of go whoa i've watched you since i was one man you know so it's 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 cool to have that kind of access to to players and for them to be so friendly you know absolutely it's, it's, and that's something, man. I have found it's 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 really funny because it's it's not just mandolins, but I, I find that I'm, I'm biased, of course, because that's a, the mandolin's my thing. But uh, it's like mandolin players seem like they're so open and friendly, and not there's no there's very few that seem guarded, you know, about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, man, how do you do that? And those man, let's sit down and do it, you know. Oh and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's. It, I'm sure it's that way with other instruments, but I, I really, really notice it with mandolin players. Every, all of them. It doesn't matter who it is, Chris Thiele or 
or one of my students, they're all just like, yeah, man, how's that happen? And you just kind of, you, you kind of sit down and do it. And it's, you know, you talk about it and, and maybe if you've got time, sit down and play a thing. So it's just fun. I love sharing information and I, I learn as much. If I learn as much from my students as I hope they get from me. It's just different ways folks can make stuff happen, you know? And, and so if, whatever I can do to help somebody out, I'm, I'm always glad to do it. Oh, that's awesome. And that's why you are so great at what you do. Cause you never stop learning. That's another thing. Uh, that everybody's, everybody's learning. <laughs> any, yeah. I've, and I've said this gazillions of times, but if someone tells me they've got it figured out, I know they're a lot because <laughs> it's, it's if, if you watch, just name your five absolute top players of all time that you like on any instrument and you're going to watch them and they're going to do it a different way. Uh, if you watch, you know, I started noticing that, you know, when I watched Grisman and then I watched Sam and then I would watch Mike Marshall and I would watch the guy that got me into it, a fellow named Dempsey Young, uh, the man that made me want to play the mandolin in the first place. Everybody, all those guys, man, the right hand was different. The attack was different. Their tone was a little different, but I loved it all. And uh, I thought, man, there, there's got to be a way that I can make this work too. And uh, it's a little unorthodox in certain aspects, but in other ways, it's, you know, it just follows along and in a string of, of hopefully, you know, stuff that, that might work a little bit. So the first question I want to ask you is um, what you've been up to, because as, as we before we started this podcast, I think it was a January or February ish, like the Mandolin Cafe is a sponsor, which is an honor for me because it's like my favorite website. I'm on it yeah. first thing in the morning. Scott's, me too. Yeah, that's awesome. Scott's I've, the best. I've, Scott's Scott's the man. And he's he's been the man for a long, long time. And that, that website is just it's the that is that is the mandolin mecca right there absolutely like if, you, if you need information on it not just bluegrass anything mandolin related and it's so accessible to everybody and the the classifieds are great and the the forums are great and you know it's just it's it's so professionally done and it's it's an honor it's to to know those those folks out there and scott's just always always good with his time just like i was talking about mandolin players you know he has been a huge help to me during this yes. during this and so, yeah. hey, Scott, he listens too. So, how's it going, buddy? Oh, Ruby, <laughs> yeah. Scott, big endorsement, baby. Yeah, that's so great. So, um, anyway, speaking of the forum, there was a subject mm -hmm. on the forum, like, well, kind of like, where'd Adam Steffi go? What's I think Adam's Adam's disappeared. That might be exaggerating a bit, but there was like, what's going uh, on? So, yeah. so let's. What is going on, Adam? Well, I've, uh, obviously, this year has been strange for everyone, and uh, you know we. I had I had been playing for the last throughout 2019. I was with a group called Volume Five. A fantastic band from 
uh, well, really based all over, like a lot of bands are now, you know, you kind of just get up and go and meet up wherever you got to be. Very few bands are all based in the same town these days. It's kind of scattered about. So I've been working with those guys. And then uh, at the end of the year, I, 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 I left the group and I wasn't sure if I was going to keep on playing or sort of take some time away from it. I felt like I was, I was just, I was smoked mm-hmm. to be honest. I was like, you know, I've, I've run and run and run and I, I get to looking at it and I'm like, I've done this for 35 years, nearly, you know, travel around and play and, and do this. And, uh, and so I was sort of in this limbo land and, and I, I thought, well, I'm just going to, and then bang, here's COVID, you know, the, right. this, this whole thing that's just changed everybody's, everybody's, you know, in some way or another has been affected by this, not just locally, but globally, not just nationally, but globally. So, um, Right about the time this was all happening, uh, you know, there's there's some things that have been going on that uh, the folks will, you know, I, I don't mean not like we were speaking before we started the the, the broadcast here, you know, and there's some things going on that that uh, will become evident, you know, as as time goes on, whenever that might be. But uh, I am going to I am doing a lot of teaching uh, now again online. I uh, do Skype and FaceTime lessons and. And, and the like. Yeah, so if you want to learn from one of the best, I'll put the information uh I'll put the information on my uh, website so they could just click a click a link and go right to you. They can email you directly and Yeah, and reach absolutely. Out Never hesitate to contact me and you know, I, I've been doing a lot of that and uh, I'm hopefully going to be getting in and and starting on another solo recording uh in the next probably next month or two, couple of months, something like that. You know, realistically, probably a release date of later in the year, uh, if not, you know, probably at the end of the year around Christmas time, maybe hopefully around Thanksgiving. But I'm not sure. But uh, it's all just according. I Hopefully now, unfortunately, but hopefully, uh, you know, with people being limited on the amount of travel they can do and for live performances, oh, that's that's always a thing when you're making an album to try and get uh, the, the artists and the musicians yeah to to have the time to do it because most folks are out gigging you know so but anyway i'm just get, i'm getting material together for that and uh, hopefully uh hopefully that'll come together but uh, oh, yeah so exciting doing a lot of rehearsing and things like that with uh with some folks and so it's it's just a trying to i think like a lot of people that are players in any any genre you know you're just you're trying to stay I miss so much getting up and performing and having the live feedback, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's a bummer, man. But, uh, uh, just, that's what it is. That's what it is. And that's what's, uh, that's the way it is right now. So yeah. I really feel bad for those, for those people who had these projects and works. Cause I don't think, I, I don't think a lot of people realize sometimes when you have a, a record label, there's like mm-hmm. this pecking order of releases and you, th- your album could be done for a year or yeah. more. And, you know, right. and can you imagine yeah. getting ready to pop one out then and just this happens and yeah. touring and all, like or get or it gets pushed back. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's it's, feel it's for them. such a there's so much. It's it's just any well, not just music, but really all entertainment has been has been put on basically not hold, but stop. I mean, it's it's just there's a few little things starting to happen around, but uh you know, as far as like full-blown festivals and things like that, the majority of them have, have just rescheduled till next year. We'll see what happens. But that's a bummer. For sure. There, man, there's nothing. People know this time of year, man, I feel weird when it gets to be the weekend and I'm not on stage sweating somewhere. 
but it's, I, I hope it'll, I hope things will get better. And I know most, everybody does. Everybody does. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm in Galax, Virginia. That's where I live now. And, uh, and so there's all these pickers around here and there's all kinds of jamming still going on. And that, that, that gives you a release. You know, there, we have a bunch of friends, a lot of players, you know, that uh, are close by and we, we've been getting together. We've been calling it the, the, the COVID picking, you know, the <laughs> folks come over and we just, we just jam till two or three in the morning on Saturday night, you know, and just keep, keep cramming. Have you, uh, have you done any live stream stuff? No, no. You know, we talked about that one time. You, dude, you should put a, put yeah. your donation, put a donation thing on there. And, uh, man, I watched Billy Strings and Chris Thiele this weekend. Oh, man. Uh, you know, yeah. from the comfort of my couch, you know, each one separately. But you would, uh, people, you, people would tune into that in a heartbeat. Well, we're just, we just get, we just get together and jam just traditional stuff, you know, and kind of, but uh, maybe if we did that, we could cover our beer charge. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go, man. <laughs> we're, we're our, our, uh, yeah, but no, no, it's, it's all just fun. And we, we really have a good time and man, there's nothing better than, you know, after not playing, you know, traveling around and playing and seeing people, you know, all the folks at the festivals and things that we miss so much uh, to be able to, to be able to get together and jam and, and, and play music you know it's just you you don't realize until until something like this happens you know right how important it is and it's it's been basically my life for my whole adult my whole adult life you know so and, uh, what age did you pick up mandolin i was late in the game man i, I was you know compared to a lot of folks nowadays you know they'll they'll start you know five six seven eight years i've talked to a lot of the great young players you know folks that i've taught that you know, they, they, they started really early. I was, I was about to start high school. I was probably 14, 13, 14 years old before I got my first mandolin and, uh, I got consumed with it and it kind of got me through high school, kept me out, <laughs> got me in trouble and got me in trouble and kept me out of trouble in cases. So, uh, you know, it was, that's just, that's the way it kind of started rolling. And, uh, like I say, I, I started into college at East Tennessee state and uh, I never thought, you know, that it would be a career by any means and this was before they had the bluegrass program and everything it was just getting started and uh it certainly wasn't to the level that it was now but um yeah i started at etsu and i was i was i was going to school uh, to be I was, I was my plan was to be like a high school level teacher i wanted to te teach english at a high school level and so that was what i, I was majoring in was english and uh, minor in psychology i guess and uh, so that's that just sort of, I, I made it through my junior year and then picking just a completely consuming. It took over and I, I, I ended up going back later and finishing my degree. But, uh, but yeah, it was it, ever since I started getting out on the road and playing and traveling, it was just, it just sort of turned into what it has become, I guess. That's great. So who were the players yeah. when you, when you first got that mandolin that you were sitting around at that point and, 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 and records, I'm assuming, um, sitting down mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and steal, starting to steal those licks from and, and all yeah. that stuff. The first guy that got me, the first time I ever, I had been around and, and seen mandolins and um, obviously heard them because the area that I, I, caught, I say that I grew up in, my father was in the military. He was in the army. And so for t the first 10 years of my life, we bounced all over the place. We were everywhere from, I was born in, this is a song, actually. I was born in East Virginia. <laughs> so <laughs> I was born up around uh, 
uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, my father uh, was stationed up around D.C. and Norfolk and up in that area, Richmond and around Petersburg, Virginia. And so he ended up, uh, I went to the first two or three grades uh, in Hawaii. His last three years, we, we, he got stationed in Hawaii. So we, we, we went over there and that's where I went to the first, second, third grade. And then, uh, right before my fourth grade year, I was probably about 10 years old or something like that. Uh, he, he retired. He'd been in the army for like 22, 20 some years, I guess. And, uh, so he retired and we settled in Kingsport, Tennessee. And, uh, so that's what I call home. But, uh, I, when we, when we settled there, I, you know, there, if there was any kind of a store opening or anything like that, any event, uh, they would have bluegrass music, you know, there's some band they're playing or you'd hear people or see people playing. So I'd seen banjos and fiddles and instruments, but there wasn't anybody in my family that played uh, any kind of a string instrument like that. And so I saw Dempsey Young with the lost and found at the place called the Carter fold in uh, Hilton's Virginia. And uh, that's where my grandfather was born and raised. And uh, he would go up there to the Carter Fold and just hang out with friends and stuff, you know, almost every weekend. And so I'd ride along with him and uh, I, I never really paid any attention. I just listened to him talking to these old fellows that he grew up with. And <laughs> I, I, something about the lost and found when they were on stage, Alan Mills and Dempsey Young and Gene Parker and a fellow named Roger Handy at that time made up the band. But uh, when I saw Dempsey play the mandolin, I was like, I, I told my grandpa, I said, what is that? And he said, well, that's a mandolin. And I said, well, boy, I sure do like that. And so the next weekend, we went to a flea market in Kingsport. And uh, they had one for, I think it was $30. A little old cheap, cheapest mandolin you could find. You know, <laughs> but this fella, fella had one set up in the back of his truck. And my grandfather got that for me. And I started taking lessons shortly after that. And uh, I never stopped. <laughs> it's just... Good thing you didn't pick up ukulele in Hawaii. We'd have lost. We'd have lost. No. The... <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, I don't know. I, I, like I say, it's just for some reason the Lord impressed on me about it. was like, man, the mandolin, because, you know, most people wanted to play electric guitar. You know, like I said, I was probably 12, 13 years old before I really paid attention to it. Mm -hmm. And everybody in school with me, you know, uh, you know, they just all. All I was listening to at the time was like Leonard Skinner and uh, Stevie <laughs> Ray Vaughan and yeah. you know any anything like that. Like I, I had this, I, I've told this story before too, but I had this huge picture of Kiss on the wall, the biggest <laughs> nice. poster I could find. You know, and there here they are in all their outfits and all this. So heavy metal kind of stuff was my thing. What was con what was considered heavy metal at that time? That's know? great, man. I would have never guessed in a million years. Yeah, and so why why the mandolin caught my ear, you know, the smallest little instrument, and I'm the biggest man in the room about anywhere I go. So it's like, man, what's going on with that? But, it, you know, that's just the way it was, and that's what sort of caught my ear. And, man, I've, I'm not one of these guys. It seems like every band I've played with, most of the most of the singers and players in the group play other instruments, you know, but the mandolin is the only thing I, I, I play. I know some chords on a guitar, but uh, you know, like G, C, D, E minor, maybe an <laughs> A, the Mac Wiseman A, you know, or something, but I can't, uh, you know, as far as play, you wouldn't want me to play rhythm behind you working on the mandolin. Cause I, <laughs> uh, no, I always go back to chopping. <laughs> so yeah.
if I play a bass, if I pick up an upright bass and I'm just goofing around, I end up on the offbeat. So it, that ain't no help. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, you just go right back to home for yourself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just I got nothing else. Man. I played trombone. I, uh, only thing I only thing I played is trombone. I played the trombone in the in the school band all through grade school and high school, mm-hmm. and uh, was in the marching band and all that kind of thing. So uh, between that and the mandolin, that that was my music. And uh, mandolin obviously uh, was what I stuck with. I ain't played trombone since I need to put that on a new record. Oh, that's for sure. (laughs) Man, you talk about a train wreck, baby. That's what we should have said when you were, what have you been up to? Just you've you've given up mandolin and you're putting out an all trombone, trombone album, solid brass. Yeah. Yeah. Trombone Biggie Steph. Instead of... (laughs) Instead of trombone shorty, it'd be trombone biggie. Oh. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, that that's something I ain't touched since I graduated high school. But man, it was that was something that uh, my band director was awesome because he would let me get out from my study hall and come down and I'd practice my mandolin. Oh, I'd get cool. in a practice room and practice, so it gave me extra time. And then as soon as I got home, I'd play again. You know, so it was just I got consumed with it, man. And uh, just like I think everybody will tell you, once it once that bites. It doesn't matter if you're 60. I've seen people that are retired and they, they get consumed with the banjo or they get consumed with the fiddle or they get consumed. I was very fortunate that I got into it when I did because I was afforded the time. You know, I had I had, you know, my set schedule for school. But you do have a lot more free time, you know, when you're younger than when you get older and have a family for sure. And especially if you if you're working. You know, so once you start working and uh, or, you know, something like that, but I, I started at just the right time and uh, guess when it was all supposed to happen. When you went to ETSU, were you also taking any sort of music classes? Well, I I didn't really. Jack Toddle, the fellow that began what's now become the, the infamous bluegrass program there at ETSU, old time and Celtic and uh, and, you know, Irish music and. Uh, gosh, they have so many different country music. Uh, there's so many different wings to it now. But uh, uh, Jack Toddle had just started the program over there like a year or so before I began. Uh, and uh, he was offering a, I want to, I forget how it was, uh, how it was categorized, but it was a, uh, it was like a, a history of country and Western music, I think is how it was was uh build you know oh, in wow. the in in the the offerings you know and um so I, I took that class and jack actually had a uh a, a band class a bluegrass country music band that uh you know there were six or eight of us and uh so you could take that and get like an hour credit i think it was or something per semester you know for for taking that and uh so the history class you know was a semester and i took that but uh, at the time, that was all there was. Uh, they didn't have, you know, all the other classes uh, associated with the bluegrass program. I was mainly focused on English. I was taking all the all the English and English lit and you know American lit classes and all. As I said earlier, I'm, I was working to to get my teaching degree, and um, so uh, yeah, I would. Uh, there, but fortunately, there were a lot of players there at, uh, on campus that I knew, and. Uh, I was at the time when I started college, I was playing in about two or three different local bands. So I was rehearsing one or two nights a week with all these local groups. And then every weekend I had somewhere I was playing, usually Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If I wasn't playing or performing somewhere, I was going to see somebody play. And uh, the club at the the club in Johnson City called the Down Home. Yeah. That, uh, 
man, that place is still rocking. And I, I, I saw so much good music come through there. I saw, uh, that's, I saw hot rise, Tony rice, Newgrass revival, Nashville bluegrass band, Larry sparks. Uh, you know, it was just this endless array of everything from progressive to super traditional and, um, singer songwriters would come through there and, uh, and it was just something, and it still does. It's just, it's just that between the Carter fold and the down home, I got an education in, in, in playing and singing, you know, what's, what I consider to be really, really high caliber music. Yeah. I mean, those names alone right there, it's like. Right. And that's, geez. that's just, the, that's the tip of the iceberg, you know, the people that came through there. And, uh, but I just remember the, the impression that it made on me the first time. Uh, I saw Tony Rice walk out on stage, uh, and that was about 80. He had just put the unit together with uh, Jimmy Gaudreau, Wyatt, and, uh, and Mark Schatz. And uh, he walked, I'll never forget it. He walked out, just pumped a G-run, and then they kicked off Blue Railroad Train. And I, I just, that's, that's another one of those, uh, man, I, I, I was just, it, it, it just blew my wig off. Just it's still, but man, it makes me chill bump thinking about that, man. I got I got chills right now of you, you just thinking of that. That's <laughs> one of those things, man, because the down home is is it seats. I think the maximum capacity is about one seventy five legally, but there were probably <laughs> somewhere just short of three hundred eighty four <laughs> in there that night. And uh, man, it was just it was unreal. It really was unreal. And uh, I told Tony about that later on. You know, I'm like, man, you have no idea the effect you know that that and your music had on me over the years you know and uh again that's one of the things i've been very blessed to be able to meet a lot of my heroes and uh, get to actually talk to them and know them a little bit and uh man that was something but yeah the down home and the carter fold those places right there and uh, all that came through my time at uh, just growing up there in the area that i grew up in I'm, i was very fortunate to be in an area you know that was just saturated with not only good music coming through and great artists playing in the area, but great local musicians that folks will never know that uh, way better than I am, way better players and singers than I could ever attempt to be. But uh, they just would, they, they were, they wanted to play and stay home, you know, but just being surrounded by such good music all the time. And uh, the great albums that obviously, you know, come out all the time, even now, but uh, back then there was just seemed like there was a, a real just a man the early late 70s early 80s through the 80s and uh when i was really really you know soaking everything up and uh, and then started playing in the late 80s out on the road myself so uh i was i was very blessed what did it look like for your woodshedding when you're starting to develop your you know and refine your playing skills in those when you're sitting down and playing all that time i always find that really intriguing like the stuff that that you would have been working on or what was, you know, did you have like a process or anything like that? Or was, how did you do it? Well, when I first started playing my, my, my modus operandi was if, if I saw, if I knew somebody played the mandolin, you know, like Bill Monroe, obviously. And if I, if I saw an album in a record store that had a mandolin on the cover, a picture of a mandolin, if, you know, if Jethro Tull had had a mandolin, <laughs> mandolin on the cover of the, I, I didn't care who it was. I was going to get it because I was just absolutely, and you know, just enamored with the mandolin. Mm -hmm. 
and so I would just buy albums, people that I knew, people that I didn't know. And, and as I started playing and get to know people, you know, that, that played locally, I would ask, well, what, who's, who's really, really, who's your favorite on this instrument or that instrument? And I would find those albums like uh, Ricky Skaggs with Boom Creek. I'd get Ralph Stanley albums. I'd get uh, Doyle Lawson and just put Quicksilver together at the time. And so I started getting any, re any record or new record that he would put out because he was from Kingsport originally. And so I, I hear that name all the time. So I started searching out Doyle Lawson and I found the old country gentleman albums that he was on, you know, prior to, prior to starting the Quicksilver. So all those kind of things. And then I started hearing about this guy named Sam Bush. So <laughs> I, I started digging around, you know, and I was getting the, the, all the, all the new grass records and anything I could find with Sam on it, you know, the stuff way back, you know, stuff he did with Alan Mundy, things like that, you know, and I was, I was just digging around trying to find anything that had a mandolin on it. And then, you know, you start refining it and, and figuring out who you like and who's, who's your preference and what you want to hear. And, um, you know, then I, I started hearing, I, I happened upon that original quintet album that David Grisman put out and that, that sort of changed, that changed everything. And I've, I've been fortunate to get to know David a little bit over the years. And, uh, I always love my time with him because he is so gracious and cordial and, um, uh, just a man, the, the influence that that record had on me because I'd heard Tony already through his work with JD Crow. And, um, uh, I got that double O 44 album and that, that sort of, sort of redirected my thinking on bluegrass. And, um, but then I was hearing this tone that Grisman was doing and these melodies that he was doing. And when I saw that Tony was on it and I saw those, like I said, it had two mandolins on the cover. <laughs> right. So I was like, well, this has Todd Phillips was playing mandolin with Grisman on that. And I was like, well, you know, this can't be bad. It's got two mandolins <laughs> and Tony Rice on it, you know? So, so I got it and, uh, wow. And then I, you know, I, I never claimed to be a Grisman uh, I can't play that stuff, you know, and I, I, I tried to learn the melodies and I learned them as best I could. I didn't even know what the chords were, you know, but I would, <laughs> right. I would sit and try and figure out just on an LP, I would just wear needles out, you know, trying to learn this stuff, you know? And so, uh, but that, those, those folks and my, the process was I would just sit and put a record on, listen and listen and listen and listen and listen to a song over and over and over. And then I would try and figure it out. And, uh, you know, whether it was off of a J.D. Crow record or, or a, you know, a Grisman record or a Bill Monroe album or uh, I was real, man, the Bluegrass album started coming out, you know, with Dole and, and Tony and J.D. and Bobby Hicks. And... And uh, I, those those records, uh, they had a huge influence, too, because when those came out, it, it just sort of changed everything about them. It, I, I kept getting redefined, you know, into what then. But I was trying to soak all of it up at once. Tony was putting out all these great albums, you know, with the Tony Rice unit doing the, the jazz grass stuff, you know, and the, the, the dog music is what everybody used to call it. And that's the way I still refer to it. But I think he was calling it jazz grass or something. And 
and uh, the Grisman stuff and obviously Newgrass, you know, Bela started playing with Newgrass about that time and, and they had that, that configuration with Pat Flynn and, and the, 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 obviously John Cowan and, and Sam and man, it was, it was a hot time. And so anything <laughs> I could get a hold of, I was sitting in my room trying to figure it out. And I always liked playing in the kitchen. I got run out many times because, you know, I'd try to play in the bathroom or in the kitchen because it was loud. <laughs> right. and, uh, my room had carpet in it, shag carpet in it. You know, this was early, late 70s. So everything was kind of dead, sound like a studio. And I'm like, man, I want it to sound like, I want to sound like, uh, like I said earlier, I want it to be like Leonard Skinner, you know, just make it loud as I can get it. But uh, just spent a lot of time in front of the record player, man. Out of all those amazing albums that came out at that time, is there just one that is like that? This mm -hmm. just yeah, that's that just to this day still just blows your mind. Um, the one that did it for me, uh, that really, really sort of, I've already mentioned several of them, but mm -hmm. you know, uh, Manzanita. Yeah, Tony Rice's record, Manzanita. A lot of people have talked about it, but it took me a while. I'm, I'm slow, man. I'm thick in the head. But uh, <laughs> it, it honestly took me, it, it took a buddy of mine to tell me, you know, I don't like that record because he didn't have no banjo on there. Right. And I said, man, what do you mean there's no, there's banjo all over it. And then I got to thinking and I'm like, no, Adam, you're a dumbass. There's no banjo on that record. But it, it, it just gave, you know, and I love the banjo, believe me. There's nothing I would rather do than play rhythm anyway, period. I don't care if I ever take another solo. I just love playing rhythm with a good bass and a guitar man. Mm -hmm. That's just, I love it. And uh, But banjo is, if I could play one other thing, it would either be steel guitar or banjo. And uh, But it's it didn't dawn on me. You know, I just, again, I got it. I, I looked at the picture on the back and I said, well, there's Sam Bush and there's Ricky Skaggs and there's, you know, Grisman's on this thing. So, man, there's liable to be three mandolin players on this. So, uh, <laughs> man, I love Tony Rice because he loves the mandolin, seems like, you know. And so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I got that record and it just, yeah, that that's the one record probably that if I, if I could only have one and uh, everybody's got their own thing, you know, and they're, they're whatever but that that record to me and uh so, so, well, there's tons of other ones but it probably if, the desert island record for me would probably be manzanita by tony rice yeah i guess i mm -hmm. forget all the time there's no banjo like you just saying that just reminds me because it just sounds it's perfect you yeah know, it just yeah you, you just don't yeah. even think about the i guess it's, right. as a whole it just sounds so great yeah, and the, the, what Jerry Douglas did on that record, and uh, you know, uh, just everybody on there was was just, and it 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 was so. I don't know any other way to put it, but it, it's hard to to put it, define it. But it was like it was structured, but they felt so free what they were doing on there. Mm -hmm. You know, there was obviously these arrangements, but it felt like, and it the way I understand it, but most of it was live, if not all of it. They just did a track, you know, and said, hey, man, that felt good. 
and man, that's just, that's, it's just felt so good and so live and, uh, everybody just played so free on it, you know, and those have become standard solos. If you play, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're playing, if, if you're playing a song off her that Sam's playing man on, on, you, you take that solo. That's the way you do it, you know? And, uh, it's just, that's, if you, if you veer off of it too much, you, you, you know, somebody's going to throw a red flag. That's right. You're going to be looked, somebody's looking down their nose at you. <laughs> Sorry. You owe the Manzanita union $50 yeah. and it's going to cost you 25 yards for a mandolin infraction. That's right. Oh, so you're at ETSU with all with with the intention of becoming a, a high school teacher. How do you find yourself playing mandolin professionally? My first my first gig ever, and this is a fellow that I love, was uh, with the Lonesome River Band. Uh, Tim Austin. Tim Austin was uh, playing guitar, and uh, and a fellow named uh, uh, Jeff Midkiff who's a terrific mandolin player still terrific you know he's just a i can't say he's just massive massive mandolin player but he had left the group and tim was they were trying out different people and i had met them uh playing with a local band i'd met them out in missouri uh we were out there just during the summer playing at a at a, a, a festival at i believe it was silver dollar city out there and uh so I met Tim and the guys, and um, it was Tim and Jerry McMillan and a fellow named Randy Driscoll played the banjo. And uh, so he called and asked me if I wanted to come up and play. And so he, I got the job, and uh, that was in 1987. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I was just about a, I was probably a junior in college. And uh, so that's, I, you know, much to my parents' chagrin, you know, I, but, <laughs> They were very supportive. I was surprised. I was scared to death to tell them I was going to do it. But when I did, they said, well, son, you need to do that. You, you have devoted a lot of time to this and you've, you know, I'll never forget that. It's That's just a, uh, so great. It, it was awesome. It was awesome. And they helped me so much. And, uh, but they understood what it meant to me, you know? And so to be able to go up there and, and for Tim Austin to allow me to come in there and play, man, it was, it was, it, it was a learning experience from every angle because I'd never traveled around before. You know, I'd bounced around with my dad, you know, and, and my mom and family, you know, when he was in the military, but, you know, to play a show and then load up and drive and go 10 hours and play somewhere else and then load up and go some more, you know, that's, that was my, that was my, uh, a, a big kindergarten experience, you know, with some, with some seasoned professionals, you know, and Tim was very patient with me <laughs> and all those guys were, you know, cause I didn't know what I was doing, but, uh, man, they, they, he, he taught me a lot. He taught me a lot, a bunch. And, uh, so, uh, that was my first, my first take on the road and I'll never forget it. How many, did you guys do a lot of dates when you were, when you first started with them too? Uh, we were playing, uh, we weren't just we weren't just ripping the road down, mm -hmm. but to me it seemed like we were doing just enough, you know. And it, it was we we stayed we stayed busy enough. Obviously through you know December and January and February there ain't a whole lot going on, but uh, but yeah, in the summertime, it, spring and summer, you know, we we worked quite a bit, yeah, and all over the place. So uh, it was it was a it was eye opening and fun and everything you would want when you're about. 19 or 20 years old <laughs> um, how were you guys getting around back then 
when I first started playing with them, they had, uh, Tim had just got a bus, uh, oh, wow. from the, an old, it was a fifties model. It's old GM 4104 bus, 35 foot bus. And, um, uh, straight drive the whole bit man and it was used to belong to the bluegrass cardinals he'd got it from his buddy david parmley uh david and don parmley had, had the bluegrass cardinals and they lived right there in Farum, uh virginia which is where the lonesome river band at that time was based out of and so man i got to ride on that bus and i thought yes sir this is, this is how i was i was as as the kids say i was pimping and uh, so but then we sold the bus. It, we we just about had a couple of uh, pretty good accidents in it. Oh, jeez! So, so we sold the bus and uh, rode around in a van. And uh, but uh, yeah, it was a van, no air conditioning, shag carpet all over it. So it was yeah, that was pimping too. But uh, but yeah, it was it was great, man. It mm -hmm. was everything. Like I said, I was young and just I I tell you what, I, I that was it was hard. Man, it was looking back on it, and I think about it. It's like, man, that was really hard, but it didn't seem like it at all. But, uh, but yeah, it was it was fun. It was just a lot of fun, and like I said, they were patient with me, and and they taught me, and uh, and I I tried to soak up everything I could because Tim was Tim was a, a rhythm machine, and and had a lot of a lot of thoughts and insight and knowledge on like arranging songs and picking songs and and putting albums together, and he got into recording. And uh, subsequently ended up opening his own studio and record label. So uh, I got to see that sort of the, the germinating phase of that and how that all became uh, came to be. And uh, so it, it was really, really neat to, to taught me a lot. So what's some advice you would give to, if there's some young players out there hoping to, to land a gig somewhere out there? And what's some advice you would give to a first timer to help them prepare that you've, some, that you've, that you've learned from an experience like that? Well, I just, uh, man, just, uh, I would play, I, I would just recommend, I always told folks when I was at East Tennessee state, you know, get out and play as much as you can, mm -hmm. as much as you can possibly jam as much as you can play. And I know, you know, different folks have different time constraints, different folks, but if it were somebody say in high school or something like that, if there's a jam around, if there's a festival around, if there's a fiddler's convention around, if there's anything like that, just get around and, and get to know people, you know, the modern terminology, I guess, is, is I'm going to go and network now, uh, you know, <laughs> right. but uh, I mean, really, it's just, it's, it's getting these relationships with people. And it's not because you're trying to network or you're trying to, I'm going to, I'm going to land this gig now, you know, nothing like that. It's just, you, you, you if you're, the, if you're consumed with it and you, and you feel like, man, I want to do this. And I, 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 I want to try this and I want to get into it somehow. Uh, just get to know people and get to, get to, get to know folks and folks that you admire. Don't be scared to go up and talk to them because more than likely they're friendly and they'll talk to you about it. And, uh, and anything that you're, you see, or you hear, watch and listen, don't, you know, it's, it's, uh, what's the term? And I'm bad to, I, 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 I break this rule all the time, but it's better to be silent and thought a fool and to open your mouth and prove that you are. Uh, <laughs> so it's like you can learn a lot by just, just, you know, zip it and, uh, and listen and, and hear what folks are saying. And when they're talking to you, you know, just, uh, just, just pay attention, but the, as much as you can be around it, do that, saturate yourself with it and, and with, with the people 
and uh, the fans and different folks and not just professionals, anybody, local musicians, local players, because uh, the world's gotten a lot smaller with the Internet and things like that. And it's a lot easier to access music and it's a lot easier to 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 be around other people. You know, at the time when I was getting into it, if I didn't drive to see it or I wasn't talking to him on a landline telephone, that was it. You you had no contact. <laughs> right. Know? Right. Uh, so it had to be in person. You weren't taking Skype lessons with Bill Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> no, and don't get don't get me wrong. I'm not. I ain't knocking technology, man. I I love it. I mean, we're using it right this second. Absolutely, man. I like indoor air conditioning and running water and <laughs> indoor facilities. I love it, and I utilize it to its maximum. But uh, you know, I I, I love. I love technology, but I'm just saying, you know, at the time, that's all I had. But still, if you can get to people, if you can get out and in with people and play live and play live shows and get around as many folks as you can and not in an overbearing way, but just uh, and folks see that and they remember that. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, that's that guy that plays. He's from over here in the, he's from over here in Columbus, Ohio, man. I remember seeing him up there. Or, you know, hey, there's that, there's that, that's that, that's that, that, that young lady that plays the, the, the Dobro and she's awesome. I remember seeing her over here in Charlotte, North Carolina. You know, you, you start putting faces with, with their playing and their name and things like that. So, uh, yeah, you just, uh, you just get out there and play nice. and do it, do it because you love it. Not because you have to, I was real fortunate that I didn't have anybody beat me over the head saying, get in there and practice, get in there and play. You know, you got a show this weekend. You need to get after it. You know, it wasn't <laughs> nothing like that. I was just, I could not wait. And I still cannot wait. You know, it's like, man, it's, it's, I'm ready to play. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's time, man. It's time. So, and how long were you in Lonesome River Band for? I was in the Lonesome River Band for a year, right at a year. And then, uh, I, I went back, I decided, you know, I'm this close to finishing up my degree. And I was, you know, like I said, I was probably a sophomore, junior. I forget exactly how many credit hours I had, you know, at the time, but, uh, it was along about in there that I, I was, I just went back to working part-time and, uh, and going back to school. I was still playing. We, we eventually put together a group called Dusty Miller. And, um, with that group, Tim Stafford and I and Barry Bales were playing together and uh, just fast forwarding through playing with Dusty Miller. Uh, we've had that group for a couple years. That's when we got to know Allison Krause. Well, that sure seems like a great place to leave it there. Part one, whoo, man, I still, I'm still pinching myself that uh, I got to have this conversation and it just gets better. Um, the next episode next week so thanks y'all um what you're hearing in the background right here is that band dusty miller that adam was talking about you can find it on youtube uh, if you go out there looking around just type in dusty miller uh, adam steffi and you'll find a version of it out there uh to listen to you i don't believe it's available anywhere else so talk to y'all next week for part two with adam steffi <laughs>